Okay, so welcome back to the uh, Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. This is episode 104. We hope this is actually a retake where we've been failing with the internet and so on. So today, um, my guest and I are going to really try and make this work. So today I am talking to Dr. Chaz Kirksick. Did I get that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, listeners don't know as I got that wrong the first time around. So that was the advantage of re-recording this, uh, this session. So hopefully we're not going to lose the internet on today's session. So um, um, I think what we should do is go right back and have you just tell everyone who you are and what you're up to, Chad. For sure. So, uh, so thanks for having me, Lauren. I'm, um, I, I currently work at a, um, kind of a, a, a medium-sized university in, um, here in the U.S. Uh, called uh, Lindenwood University. Uh, we're in uh, St. Charles, Missouri, which is kind of a, a northwest suburb of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So, uh, so that's kind of um, where my university is located. I, I teach and do research in um, our undergraduate exercise science and our graduate human performance program, and um, I direct uh, a research laboratory that we've named the uh, Exercise and Performance Nutrition Laboratory that is dedicated and kind of that basically it kind of conducts uh, clinical trials uh, zeroed in on uh, exercise and nutritional interventions uh, surrounding uh, sport nutrition and muscle physiology and so forth. Awesome. And um, when we were chatting earlier, uh, I learned that that your interests aren't just about doing science. It's also about you know, applying it into a real-world context. Maybe you could just give us some sort of bit of background there. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that that I guess philosophical approach is kind of comes back from um, you know from my doctoral days at at um, Baylor University with um, people like Rick Kreider and Darren Willoughby. You know, where they they um, they worked really pretty hard with. Um, we actually had a pretty killer combination between Darren and Rick because Rick did a lot more of the applied. Type, type questions and Darren is really is kind of second to none when it comes to some of the molecular kind of mechanistic type things surrounding exercise and nutrition. So, so we had a, a really good balance of both, um, but we also tried to work with the athletic teams that were there. And, um, you know, so we, 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 from a very early part in our training, were um, kind of pressed upon uh, translating that information into um, uh, into information that into, into a manner that coaches and athletes practitioners could use and, and kind of make some benefit from it. Awesome. And, and as you know, um, that is, that is really what I'm into is it's that translational thing um, between science and practice. And that's, that's really what I'm, I'm trying to get out of my own mission with, with my own work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for those that are listening that have, listen to many of these podcasts before they'll be familiar with this but my my sort of buzzword is context and um that actually fits really well into the discussion we're going to have today mm-hmm. so um today's uh, podcast we're going to get into the issn's new position stand on on nutrient timing and um, one could argue it's all about context um but before we, we delve into that, maybe you could just help us understand, you know, why why is it that, that you've done a position stand? I know you've had an awesome team support you through this process, but I mean, what, what kicked this process off? Bearing in mind that there has already been a position stand in the past on nutrient timing. So, so why a new one and why now? Yeah, so, you know, we, we, we did the initial timing stand back in 2008 when, um, and really if you kind of look back on the literature, you know, that was really where, you know, some of like Kevin Tipton's initial work on some of the amino acid and protein timing started to take place. We certainly had a good idea that things like carbohydrate loading and giving some carbs throughout, um, you know, prolonged endurance exercise bouts were beneficial. But since 2008 to now, I mean, the amount of information that we have regarding um, uh, feeding strategies to support optimal glycogen resynthesis at various times, um, as well as the information to support or maximize um, you know, resistance training adaptations and uh, muscle protein synthetic responses. I mean, there, there was, it was literally, we, we had a document that we felt really pretty good about in 2008 and I challenge anybody to really find a bunch of overlap between it because we pretty much had to scrap it and start over. 
Um, you know, so there's just, it's an area that so many, at so many levels of, of nutrition and sport that people have grabbed onto. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it where there, there's many parts where some could argue we, you know, we probably shouldn't be talking about that in this type of scenario because we really don't know. Um, and then there's also many situations where we have some evidence to suggest that the things that people are saying may not necessarily be, may, may not be um, appropriate, you know, yeah. because of, you know, the evidence to kind of refute some suggestions, suggestions otherwise. I, I think another reason is because, um, you know, the word timing had kind of it had expanded beyond just sport. It had expanded beyond, you know, uh, feeding strategies to optimize performance. Um, and it had really spilled over quite a bit into um, kind of the phys physique nutrition, you know, kind of, kind of a scenario. So there's a, a, a good bit of internet traffic that was, um, you know, kind of talking about findings and recommendations. Um, so I think that was kind of another reason, um, you know, overall. And then um, it, one of the things also too that I'll kind of mention that we, we decided to, to not really fully develop it because the, the literature base is still in its infancy, but, you know, we're starting to see some evidence of, you know, timing of like non-nutrients, things like caffeine and creatine and sodium bicarbonate. And there's, you know, a couple of small studies on like iron and, and um, um, you know, calcium. So, hey, you know, I mean, maybe phase three of the document will have, you know, basically micronutrients and, you know, um, you know, some types of things involved in it. So I think all of this points towards people just understanding that this is a, this is a big, big topic. It was a, it was something that needed to be redone. You know, there was a, a lot of work that had been done since, you know, 2007, 2008 to now. <clears throat> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm pleased that you, you mentioned about those new emerging areas, which you do cover in the paper. And um, we've discussed this many times on this podcast about just how fluid the science is, you know, and, Mm -hmm. We obviously know a lot less than 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 we know, and um, that's great because there's more questions than answers, and that that means that you guys are going to have plenty of, of work to do over the coming years, which is awesome. But just to feedback to something we touched upon in our first attempt to record this, right. with, um, you, you have uh, an awesome crew uh, supporting you in this in this position stand. Um, at, at, as, as is common with position stand. And um, you had mentioned one of your uh, co-authors, Sean Aaron, who I've interviewed a number of times, known well, good, good guy. He, um, he came up with something in a previous um, interview I, I did with him, which, which is this idea of you can but should you, which I have um, stolen many a time. But I, I think what's great about that phrase is it doesn't just tie into my favorite word context or the, the basic concept of what we're trying to get into in this paper with nutrient timing, but pretty much anything is just because you can do something, it doesn't mean that you should do it. And I and I think that that, that becomes a problem when um, I, I gave a lecture uh, recently where I started talking about this science to practice concept, which is my own research interest. And um, there is a, a sort of a, a human condition, if you like, which is neophilia. Um, you know, to be a neophile is to be obsessed with something novel, um, which plays very well into um, the obsessions that most people have with sports nutrition. Something becomes novel, it becomes extremely exciting, and it narrows our view and our vision into something, and that's what we obsess about. For example, the whole, you know, post-workout, post you know, the, the, the window of opportunity. Um, which you discussed in great detail to the point that it might actually bring about severe mental stress to individuals who accidentally miss their post-workout protein right. because of their belief in that one thing when they didn't, you know, they didn't actually understand the paper or that the original studies were only done on six people. Um, right. You know, how, how, how can we truly generalize that stuff? So, so really what I'm leaning to is the fact that Sports science is riddled with nuances. It is the most nuanced of areas that I can think of, really. And um, so just on, on that idea of nutrition, particularly sports nutrition, being so nuanced, what, you know, what, what, what would you, what, where would you take that concept um, in terms of the relevance of, of it being nuanced? Is that something that we should bear in mind, do you think? 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, the, the topic of timing is one where, I mean, there are long, detailed discussions that if you're going to really talk about it fully, that can and should happen <clears throat> surrounding carbohydrate feeding and don't, and then, and then also protein feeding and then, and then carbohydrate plus protein. You know, I mean, all of these different types of things create different environments inside the cells that, 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 that certainly uh, have the, where we have some evidence to suggest that some things might be a little bit different, you know, and, and not every situation applies to that. You know, um, I mean, I was actually just lecturing yesterday to my sport nutrition class about, about carbohydrates. And we started talking about, you know, some of the different strategies used to um, um, resynthesize, you know, glycogen. And obviously timing is one of those, you know, and that's, that's an aspect where I've, I've really, I, I, when I speak about it, when I lecture about it, I really try to drive home the point that people need to, 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 to echo Sean Arendt. Just because you can doesn't necessarily mean that you should or even really that you even need to. Um, you know, because I think, you know, you take many of those timing strategies of, you know, you know, they're just because you can maximize glycogen synthesis. Do you need to do that? You know, if you truly need to do it, then we have some strategies. I think we've outlined a fairly good document to help to help kind of guide some of those aspects. But I think we've also it becomes very important for people to understand that we've we've also created a document to tell people, you know, hey, when you when you can kind of dial back and calm down and relax a little bit, you know, don't go, don't go hurtling over the benches to get to your protein shake, you know, basically at, you know, the end of your workout, it's everything's, everything's going to be okay. It really does happen. I mean, you, I think we've all seen it in the locker room, you know, people are breaking out your cold sweat. I mean, without a doubt, you know, and um, I, 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 there, you know, so there's just a number of um, like a number of things. I mean, I tell you, you know, with this paper overall, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so very fortunate to have been the first author on it. But I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, Sean Arendt, Brad Schoenfeld, Jeff Stout, those three guys in particular really went back and forth with me on a number of different topics. Um, as I kind of said on the, you know, basically our first run at it. I mean, there was a short, short period of time where where I wasn't too happy with any one of those, you know, when, and, you know, any one of those guys, because they were beating up the beating up the different things that we were writing. But, you know, the document, as it goes through its iterations, um, it, it, it gets immensely better, you know, and um, you know, the things that, that people like, like Sean and Brad, I think are so very good at is the context and the details, you know, um, you know, Sean had delivered what I think was one of the better presentations I saw last year, yeah. really kind so of talking about mm. sport nutrition or performance nutrition versus physique nutrition. And he brings up his point of, you know, can you, but should you? So I think, mm. I mean, Lauren, we could get into the nuances of, I mean, all the different aspects of, I mean, you know, I mean, protein and amino acid timing, you know, whether it's, I mean, before or after or with carbs and without carbs, you know, so those are all different things that, that just demand, demand context. Um, well, now you're actually in the context where we're, we're in danger of you saying it more than me. Can't, I cannot have that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but it, but it's just so relevant. I mean, is. I, you know, it's just so relevant. I think the one thing that's really, really cool, because when you're telling me that a big part of your audience is, you know, sports scientists, folks, and yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of different, you know, graduate students. And I think to those types of people, timing is one of those things that it's, it, it really challenges, like you have to know, certain foundational aspects of feeding before you can ever get into applied, you know, you can't, you know, so it's, you know, so that, that I think becomes so very important for them to understand because, you know, as, as we really tried to highlight throughout, you take carbohydrates. I mean, you know, one of the, the, the single best strategy to maximize glycogen resynthesis has nothing to do with timing. It has everything to do with just eating a whole bunch of carbohydrates, you know? And I mean, if you, if you eat a whole bunch of carbohydrates, you know, but the key thing there is because there could have been all kinds of people that start raising their hand and ready to jump on that statement is that the context is, well, if we've got a group of rugby athletes that are part of a weekend tournament and they've got four, five, six different matches in a 72 hour period, 
Well, they need to eat those carbs as fast as possible because they might only have three hours before, before they, before they hit the field again, or, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, think of all the different sports that we can come up with where you're talking about tournament scenarios and multiple competitions. Yeah, no, you're so right, Chad. I, I, listen, I, I think, I think part of the problem here boils down to the translational issue. What we're doing is we're taking knowledge and we're assuming that, you know, this information, which we call apples, and this information, which we call this environment, we will call oranges, is one and the same thing because they're all fruit, right? So people, right. but the problem is that we're taking things too literally, but we're also, you know, trying to make apples out of oranges. Now, what I'm, what I'm saying here is scientists will design a study, they will try to control the variables, they will try and make this a study that they can truly understand what is going on ultimately so we can learn from it and generalize it and, and so on. I think what happens though, there is a lack of translation by either the publication process uh, where there's not enough context, which is why a position stand is so damn useful, or the, 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 the authors themselves, who might be other scientists who are designing other studies, are not translating it into that applied perspective. So what we've got is people are, you know, taking um, something literally like that they have to have a protein carbohydrate uh, combination of a specific recipe, you know, three minutes and 37 seconds afterwards, because all the papers are doing the same combination three minutes and 37 seconds afterwards. But that is, that is for scientific purposes, not necessarily because that's what we should actually do. Do, do you want to maybe um, elucidate where, where, you, where hopefully you can see I'm going with that? Well, because I mean, so I think number one, one thing that's important for everybody to understand is, you know, when, when, when we as scientists work on these projects, I mean, you know, some might argue that to a fault, we, we, you know, we can almost create like an artificial environment where, you know, you, um, you've controlled so many types of things. Um, and now granted, and, and that might, some people might perceive that to be a bad thing, but also I think as a scientist, you perceive it as a necessary thing because well, it, you is want, what it is, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly right. You know, it's, but you do those things to, to maximize the confidence in your conclusions. That's the bottom line, you know? So, but there are, there are so many, um, different different scenarios that that can come from you know any given study where you know I, I mean does the you know I mean number one I mean how many subjects are in the studies because you know these studies typically in general there's blood and muscle flying around everywhere you know I mean there's just there's biopsy samples and there's there's multiple blood samples and you know it's generally pretty challenging to get a large number of people to finish these types of trials. So that's a, that's a shortcoming that demands context is that, you know, granted, of course, you have to trust that the investigators did everything they could do to, you know, basically clearly clearly outline who their participants are. But the fact of the matter is, is there might only been five of them. There might only been six of them, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, I mean, just cause you think that you found five or six college age men that, that look the same on paper, we all know that they're not exactly the same and their physiologies and genetic distributions and how they eat and where they go to sleep and everything else, all of that stuff makes a difference. So I think over time, you know, and, that, and that's where for a lot of people, science is, it's too slow, it's too clunky, you know, but, but it, it, it is what it is. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, these studies are also very, very expensive a lot of times to do, Yeah. you know, so, you know, so you, 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 you know, you end up with a process that is, is slow and deliberate, but we'd like to think that it keeps getting better, you know, and, and, um, Hey, I, you know, you look at from the 08 to the, to the 17 paper. I mean, there's, there's a lot better detail. There's a lot more information in there, a lot more context, a lot more specifics. So, you know, and, yeah. So just, to, because I think it, I like to define stuff nowadays and I like to put a bit of methodology here, you know, like, like we're, we're talking about stuff, but we're also clarifying what it is we're talking about and also justifying why we feel that what we're talking about has some relevance to the listeners. And, 
Um, with this with this position stand, you, you've not just based this off one study, you've based this off a bunch of studies. Could, could you just give us a quick just idea as to what actually was involved in in the um, sort of, you know, research and selection? <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, it's a better part of two and a half, three years of a, of, of a group of a group of scientists life. You know, I mean, where you're you're just you're you're going through all of these different types of studies, you know, cause I, I think the, you know, again, I mean, we're not just looking at the conclusions of a paper and just saying, well, so-and-so found this, so-and-so found that we're saying, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we, we, we go it to the next level to say that, you know, I mean, so just to use like an example, I, I mean, you know, there, I mean, carbohydrate feeding strategies are such where, you know, there's like, that men and women load glycogen differently. They, they do, you know. So if you, you read one study that was likely done in men and likely done in cycling, because that's just where the numbers are. I'm not faulting that. That's just how they are. You know, a, 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 a group of, of, of women could read those conclusions and end up with a completely different dietary prescription that may or may not work for them body composition-wise or everything else and certainly may not be the most effective. So that's where... We have to, we just, we're going through at, literally, we take nearly all of the studies and we look in pretty good detail at three different things. And that's, number one, what's, what's, what's the training status of the, of the participants? You know, are they endurance versus resistance? Are they well-trained versus untrained? Are they very, very well-trained? You know, elite? Uh, I, I mean, there's just a number of different ways to categorize that. Um, then we'll also take a look at basically what they're being provided from a, from a nutrient perspective, you know what I mean? And when, um, is, is obviously certain an important point, you know, with this paper overall. And then also, you know, from there is, you know, when those measurements are being taken. Um, and if we're talking about performance or glycogen recovery or muscle protein synthesis, you know, basically what's being measured, you know, what, what, and, and you know, kind of what that exercise stimulus is. So you look at what, when you ask the question of what all goes into it, you know, you have to, it just takes a lot of time. I mean, my brain doesn't work that well, where I can just look at a paper and immediately categorize it into everything that it, you know, that it needs. And quite frankly, that's why you need a team of very, very good people as well, too, to make it better. Because um, you, get, you get tired, not enough coffee in the world. Of course, of course. Um, although I do try to drink as much coffee yeah. that the world can provide. Um, Absolutely. Um, um, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I just want to make sure that everyone understands the difference between an individual paper and something like a position stand or a meta-analysis. You know, there, there is a fundamental difference. Also, um, with a position stand, you know, we are also trying to, or you are in this case, um, um, trying to translate this so that people understand what they should take from this in the applied uh, context. So um, just so you can stay a little bit on track. Well, yeah. Lauren, I, think, I think probably the single best way, and this comes up with our discussions for me to maybe try to put it in perspective. And this comes, this comes you know, uh, um, from, again, people like, you know, like Joey Antonio and Rick Carter, where you know, like this document is literally, it's, 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 it's in a position of an entire professional organization. Mm. It's not my comments. Mm. It's not Sean's feelings. Mm. It represents an entire organization that is devoted to enhancing the scientific understanding and application of, of, of sport nutrition, you know, and that is so vastly different than any one paper. You know, if you and I do a single study looking on the effects of carbohydrate for performance, I mean, we have a we have a purpose and an outcome that we're trying to identify, and and we're going to develop conclusions surrounding that one outcome that we designed that study. You know, I mean that one paper might be one of 150 to 200 papers that we also reference. You know, within these documents. So so it, you know again it just it just takes a it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and energy to to really get it to where. Uh, to where the we've we've represented things the way that the way that they need to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation in, in itself. And there's other things like the the, the blind reviewers and all that stuff. But for sure. But um, let's bring this back on track to the, the specific context of this podcast, which is um, on nutrient timing. Could you 
let's let's break a few things down. Like I said, people can read the actual paper, and I'll link to it in the into the notes. In fact, you have to read the paper; that that's essential. Right. Um, but perhaps you could you could just help define for us what what that term nutrient timing actually means. Yeah, and I think you know how we've tried to define it is it's it, it, when it's best performed, it should be relative. I mean, it should be fairly methodological. You know, you need to have like an appropriate kind of purpose or reason behind what you're doing, but it, it doesn't have to be powders and pills. It can be whole foods and fortified foods and other types of supplements. Um, you know, it can be combinations of carbohydrates and proteins, but we're basically, so it's some type of a, of a, of a strategic or, or methodological approach to consuming foods, extracts, botanical supplements, um, you know, uh, amino acids, you know, I mean, and so forth to derive um, an enhanced, whether an, an enhanced acute response, maybe it's performance, maybe it's some type of physiological response. And then ideally, we'd like to think that that's going to translate into some type of a, of an improved um, training adaptation, you know, um, that, that, that also hopefully will, will positively affect performance, but it doesn't always do that. Great, and we've, we've, we, you know, we've sort of briefly delved into the background here. You've helped, you know, as to how this paper came about. Um, you've now defined what nutrient timing is. Just, just before we, we go into um, what the current paper is, is really talking about, what, what really came up for you that differentiates the 2008 paper to this 2017 paper? What, what, what was the real figure? Yeah, and I and so that's a really good question because I, I think um, for me it really boiled down to the level the 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 we, I think we're able to achieve a much higher level of detail with our recommendations, which then some people could could interpret greater detail as better context. Um, but because I and I, I think also too, you know, you look at I mean for people that are kind of that that know the literature, if we assume that we got done writing that OA paper and sometime in 2007 before it hit print, you know, I mean, look at from 2007 to, you know, to 2016 or early 2017, I mean, we knew nothing about nighttime feeding. There was nothing that was being published on, you know, nighttime feeding. We knew, you know, I mean, we just, we, we knew very, very little about a, a number of different areas. And then I think more importantly, the, the level of our understanding of how to feed different macronutrients, I think in particular carbohydrates, our recommendations I think are a lot more, uh, we have a lot more evidence to support it. So I, I just think the difference between the two is the level of detail we're able to get at, at the different macronutrients should help guide a reader a little bit better, particularly if they're more of an endurance versus um, a strength and power type of an athlete. And then as a, you know, as I mentioned before, we weren't, we, we just, we, we brought up the idea of it in the introduction of this one, that there's kind of a, a little bit of an emerging body of literature on some non-nutrients, the timing of some non-nutrients with like creatine timing and bicarbonate and caffeine. Um, and then there's also a small number of studies that have actually done um, a little bit of macronutrient timing, you know, so, you know, to, to see how that area of literature evolves from the from whenever the next paper gets gets published, um, will certainly be intriguing to see. I I think Chad that this particular topic is a great example of just how, as I said earlier, fluid this particular branch of, of sports science is. I mean the the sheer level of evolution and the um, you know I want to say the advances made and and the um, uh, can't think of the term I'm trying to come up with, but the, 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 well, there's improvements in molecular biology. I mean, we're, you know, back in those days, there wasn't so much conversation um, about the stuff that was coming from biopsy studies and that sort of thing. There's a lot more coming out of um, a lot more labs around the world that's contributing to this, to this conversation that, mm -hmm. you know, that we're having now. And uh, I have actually covered quite a lot of stuff on those topics like molecular signaling and, yeah, well, you know, you know, take, take somebody like, you know, um, um, uh, Paul, Ar um, Paul Arciero, yeah. who's 
you know, and um, who's at Skidmore? I mean, mm. you know, the he has an impressive array of of studies done on protein pacing and its ability to positively impact any number of cardiovascular factors and body composition changes and a num you know, and then and, and then certainly some performance markers. I mean, much of Paul's work, you know, wasn't really out there during that initial paper. And you look at that, I mean, there's nearly an entire section devoted to the 2017 paper getting at just from his work, looking at pacing and it's and not necessarily its effects on, you know, how to make an endurance athlete pedal further or how to make a strength and power athlete lift more weight, but how to, how to maybe more favorably improve, you know, improve body composition in, you know, in a, you know, just an everyday man or woman. And I think those types of things um, are, 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 are huge contributions because, you know, I mean, that, that's, those, those areas have the potential to, to help a lot more people as well. Um, absolutely. No, absolutely. Well, I, as you, as you know, from our previous chat, I, I interviewed Paul uh, right. one or two podcasts ago. It's a really great, great conversation. And uh, not everyone that's going to listen to this podcast is going to see the video. In fact, I, I tend to reserve the video for my, my students, but the, um, the audio, but behind me, you can see a, a whiteboard. And um, what I've got is a, uh, three intersecting circles and on there um, I've got performance in one health in another and body composition in another but but it's 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 where they all intersect in the middle is the sweet spot and and the reason that comes about is because I've been coaching sports scientists and sports medicine doctors and so on and the the, the thing we get particularly in team settings um, we get people um, contributing advice, recommendations, have an influence on things that are going to get done, but from a particular perspective. So you've got people who are entirely focused on only performance. You then mm -hmm. got others that are, that are focused on just body composition. You got others that are just focused on on health. But as 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 athletes, you know, they're also human beings, and fundamentally, th th these things all matter. Health is critical. You know, not just at the beginning of a season, but by the time you get to the end of a season, you know, the volume of training stress in sports, particularly impact sports, boxing, rugby, UFC, that sort of thing. These things all matter. Or, you know, your athlete may look lean, but that may be at the consequence of performance because what it took to get that athlete lean um, may have a detrimental effect to their performance and so on and so forth. And I've talked about this a lot on this on this podcast. And as a practitioner, I'm always, you know, in the trend. <coughs> It is imperative that you consider the bigger picture, but also the needs and preferences of the athlete, not just today, tomorrow, but in the long term. And that's not just athletes. Your physique athletes, the same thing. They still are focusing on a day where they want to be on stage or an individual wants to look good when they hit the beach or it's just about that everyday thing. But it's always a complex um, interaction of situations and, and we have a serious problem in, in particularly in sports nutrition where we take a highly reductionist approach to stuff all the time um, you know and, and, and it's about macros or how many grams per kilogram of this that and the other and it, 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 it's, it's dangerous which is again lends itself so well to this nutrient timing issue doesn't it absolutely you know so go ahead yeah, so I'm um, just trying to keep us on track a bit. Um, so th there are a number of, of key areas that come up in the nutrient timing conversation. We've already established, you know, generally um, what it is. We've got some background, of course. Um, but there are some fundamental components to it that are worth us getting into. And um, I guess... I guess the really big one would be as it relates to carbohydrates, um, mm -hmm. you know, the impact on timing on, on glycogen stores. Um, I've covered a lot, the whole train low, um, train high, low carb, high fat with all sorts of people, including Louise Burke and, mm -hmm. and um, Trent Stoneworth and, and those sorts of folks. But of course, this, this is one area which um, nutrient timing could be relevant for but to quote sean again it's a can but should you scenario um so what's the relevance here um, um with carbohydrate and uh nutrient timing i uh, see I, I think for me i always try to guide that discussion or this conversation to a bigger point 
where I think Luis Burke has done a, done an amazing job of highlighting the fact that typically for a lot of high level athletes, they're just not getting enough calories or carbohydrates. So, yes. so that needs to be a, a big, big priority and a bigger concern. And that, that can involve timing if you so want it to, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a timing type of a type of a question. But I think um, you, you absolutely have to make sure that athletes are, are just getting enough carbohydrates throughout the day. And unfortunately, the, the majority of the studies tell us that they're a little bit they're, they're, that they ha- that they have some room to improve. So from that area, you know, when you look at you know, the, the, the daily life of, of an athlete or somebody who's training and taking classes and doing a number of different things and whatnot, you know, they're, they're traditionally, they're usually pretty busy, you know, and they're, they're bouncing around, they're going from different, from study hall to you know, weight workouts to labs to different classes and, and a number of, you know, so that's where for me, I mean, timing strategies and, and coaching them on timing strategies um, it, it, it's a, it's a very candid time. You have their attention, you know, they're, they're coming out of a workout. They want to, they want to make sure that they quote unquote, get the most out of their workout. Um, and for me, in many respects to, to talk about in delivering something post-exercise as soon as possible is as much about an opportunity to feed high quality than it is about the timing. If they want to look at it as a timing scenario, that's fine with me. But I'm looking at it more of I'm I'm making sure that that they're getting enough that they're getting an appropriate amount of carbs and protein and everything else, you know. So I, I think that is that's such a for me that's a huge perspective, and I think more so for a coach. And I guess what I would tell a lot of people it's like, you know, pick your battle, pick your battles, pick your battles wisely. And if you know if one of my athletes wants to argue with me over you know whether they should ingest ingest their shake ten minutes after their after their workout or an hour after their workout, I'm just going to tell them as soon as possible, but I'm going to be more concerned about what's actually in it, you know, because to make sure that you're delivering a good amount of calories and carbs. So I think that's an important context because again, I feel like people can get, you can kind of blind themselves by being all worried about timing. And, you know, if you're not going to follow up a good timed feeding with another meal a few hours later and another meal, a few hours later to where you're not delivering, you know, you, so you end up where you go five, six hours, you know, where in where you're, you're, so you end up at the end of the day where you you're underfed, you know, you're not, you have you don't have enough energy and everything else. That's a fundamental problem. That's a big, big problem. And, and, and I think many times athletes, and I think a lot of times coaches don't necessarily look at it from that direction, you know, um, so, so do, doing, controlling that post-training scenario is very beneficial just because you're, you're just maximizing feeding um, at that point. Now, beyond that, from a timing perspective with carbohydrates, I mean, you know, the, the evidence is really pretty clear that, you know, I mean, and we kind of go through this with the paper, you know, I mean, getting, you know, the, the body does a really pretty good job if you give it food that within 24 hours, glycogen levels are really back up kind of where they need to be. They may not be maximized, but they're going to be back up at a pretty darn good level. Um, so that, again, to me, points more towards feeding and appropriate feeding than it does timing. Somebody wants to make that a timing discussion. It can be a timing discussion, but I think knowing how much carbohydrates to deliver and helping also be, becomes important. So I think a lot of times, Lauren, what I end up doing when I get pulled into timing discussions is – I, I let the conversation go down that road, but I really, really try to emphasize feeding, feeding calories and feeding carbs and, and just making sure that across the whole day that things are certainly met. I mean, we, you know, we, we can absolutely get into other strategies to more aggressively feed carbohydrate or maybe adding in caffeine or adding protein. And should we, you know, to quote Sean, should we do that? And I think we can talk about those scenarios of when we, when we should, or at least when we think we should, you know, but, but they certainly don't apply to everything. Yeah. I, you see, I, I'm totally with you. And this is why I like to just remind people of the importance of translation and just take a minute to think about stuff in the context of a bigger picture in the real world. I mean, as you were saying that, you know, what, what one problem I have with my athletes, football players, tennis players, etc. if they lose a game, if they lose a match, 
they're going straight off the pitch, right through the locker room and into their car or, or whatever. They are going to disappear because they're not, in, they're not very happy with the result. They are not going to sit there and go, oh, I wonder if I should let the post-workout shake. No, because it's an emotional situation for them that changes the context of, of the strategy. It no longer is of interest to them. So nutrient timing, for want of a better term, is a pragmatic concept. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Um, and I think it's the, 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 the sort of the pragmatist view of this is, is an important one. Sometimes you're not doing nutrient timing because, you know, it's all about molecular signaling and so on. No, it's about taking advantage of scenarios which can and probably will happen in the real world. And it's a preparation, it's a sort of a, prevent, a prevention strategy, if nothing else. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be very interesting, you know, because so you look at that and it's just like, you know, you might have lost the battle, but, you know, get yourself geared back up and, you know, and, and you know, basically get yourself well prepared to win the war. Um, and, and that's how I would view those types of situations after, you know, after yeah. every single workout, every single workout. You know, another thing that we'll, we'll emphasize so much is, you know, I'll, I'll tell athletes, I feel like the training side of their day is, 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 is the easy part. Because, you know, many of them will have a strength conditioning coach that's got their workout aligned and they just go in and, and just follow the scheme and work really, really hard. And training wise, they can, you know, they can, they can get an A for the day, but nutrition wise, coaches can only help so much. And then they have to, they have, the athletes have to kind of fill in and, and, um, and provide some, make some good decisions and do some things along those lines. So, so, I mean, your, your, I mean, your points are just so very, very well taken because, um, it, it's, it, it is, it's a very, very pragmatic approach. And I would, I would think, I think, I think Joey Antonio probably has the most pragmatic mindset when it comes to timing or, you know, I mean, cause he basically says if it's a neutral effect or a positive effect, you know, you should do it because yeah. you never really know where you're going to fall in the spectrum of individual differences and genetic differences and everything else, you know? Um, obviously if it's, if it's ergolytic and if it's going to cause some type of a harm, then of course, why would you do it? That's pragmatic. Absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that. And actually the extension to the, you can, but should you is also, you can, but should you, but also why shouldn't I? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. we, we could develop that concept. Do you know, uh, as we were talking, I think it's worth positioning nutrient timing into a, into a bigger sort of hierarchy, which would be, the, the, what I would refer to as the three T's, the total type and timing sort of idea. Uh, total being, as you've mentioned, um, and this is all made clear in the paper, but using different language, but total being total amount of, of energy, um, calories, if you like, type being, for want of a better phrase, macros, but your protein, fats, and so on. And then timing is, you know, less important. Um, but it is, as you made clear there, it is important first and foremost to get our priorities right. And, uh, but they don't, you see, the, the, the priority. And you've, meant, I, you've got a, a few sections in the paper that, that tackle this. Nutrient timing in the event of an energy deficit due to someone who's just blatantly under eating, it, you know, it, it is what people do, but it, it, it is a problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I, and I think, you know, those are, you know, to, to use that approach, you know, that you've shared, I mean, total, total type and timing. Uh, and I mean, that I think collectively is, is probably more, I think one of the safest ways to go about beginning to understand the nuances of this, because we see some similarities there across carbohydrates and protein. You know, we definitely see similarities that, you know, if somebody's eating enough protein in their day, I mean, those studies suggest that the effect of timing on a training adaptation, getting stronger, getting more DEXA fat-free mass or, you know, um, um, greater fiber diameter. I mean, they really kind of suggest that timing takes a backseat to an optimal amount of protein. Um, And we see the same thing, I think, you know, with, um, with carbohydrates as well, that if, if people are getting enough, in their day, then things like, you know, aggressive feeding in the first three, four hours, if your goal, if your, if, if your goal, or if you're, if you need, 
um, to, you know, um, to not recover within as, as soon as possible. You know, then there's a number of different strategies, you know, but, um, you know, so but, but I guess really my, my, my most important point there is that we, we see a lot of similarities with the place of timing here, the appropriateness of timing. Um, if, 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 if the needed amounts of carbohydrates and proteins are there, we don't, we're probably not going to see that much of a development on fat timing really, I think for quite some time, you know, just because of, um, I, you know, there's, I mean, I think there's just a number of different reasons, but I think, you know, really more so, I mean, you know, carbs and glycogen are your primary fuel source and proteins and aminos are, are going to be the thing that are going to help kind of repair and recover. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think you're totally right. Although I think that what is interesting, and again, this is something I, I do like to talk about a bit is that, you know, we don't eat protein, we don't eat carbs, we eat foods, which is a combination of, of these things. Yep. And, um, I mean that's a whole another that's a whole another whole another podcast in itself. Well, and, and and that is and that's honestly something that we discussed mm. provide trying to bring in that context, but it it gets really messy when you try to describe the impact of because quite honestly we really don't have enough literature to guide us on you know different combinations of carbs and proteins and fats right. and how it influences right. all of these different mechanisms and everything else. So. You know, so we just with That's these. Why we talk about it in this podcast, though? You see, so yeah. <laughs> the, 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 because the, the, there is a limit to what you can put into a position stand, and and as you've made clear, it takes years to come up with a position stand. Yeah, you know, and, and also you, there comes a point where you've just got to submit it. You can't, you know, it could be just this permanent working document. But but you know, the the difference between nutrition and sports nutrition, it, it, you know. It, should be understood that, that the nutrition is a much bigger area. Uh, sports mm -hmm. nutrition is a, I used the term, you know, earlier, it's just one of the many nuances. And, and um, to go back to your point there, the, the, you know, an issue that might come up with, with fat timing is simply that, that the fat content of a food does influence the rates at which um, that food will be digested, the impact of other associated nutrients on things like glycemic index and so on and yep. so forth which may or may not be an issue or um, the impact on gastric emptying and how that can influence um, performance, i.e. eating a very fatty meal just before you're about to engage in, you know, high intensity exercise or an endurance event. These things are all relevant, which is why it's important, I think, that people understand that, that a depth of knowledge in a variety of areas is necessary for people's um, for people to embark into areas for which they feel they should have a scope of practice. And if they don't understand the limits to their knowledge, they don't understand the limits to their scope of practice, which is why I, I like to discuss this, this, this sort of thing. Um, so just to, to, to get back into some stuff here then, um, you know, because we, we've now made it clear um, that this is a highly complex topic. We've also made it clear um, that there's, well, as I've illustrated in, in the past, that this is essentially tools in a toolbox, um, yes. you know, and, 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 and there are very clearly more than one way to achieve a goal and, and, um, you know, personal preference and the whole pragmatic stuff comes up that we've, that we've been discussing. But uh, again, um, I think a topic that's just briefly going into, which is, the popular concept of the post-workout window of opportunity um, because it is relevant to nutrient timing. And I know that this has already been tackled in a previous paper with Alan and, and Brad um, where loosely we could say it's not a, a window of opportunity. It's more like a barn door sort of thing. But if we could tie that into this, this nutrient timing thing, um, you, you know, how how relevant should we take nutrient timing to the post-workout scenario? And, 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 and if we introduce maybe a bit of timing here so that we've got a perspective as to where, you know, how big is that door opening? You know, what is the arc of, of its swing, so to speak? Yeah. Um, you know, the, that with the protein timing aspect, I mean, you know, um, one of the things that we really hashed over a good bit was because there's a number of different studies that will always kind of be, be mentioned and brought up in this topic. But if, if one really looks pretty closely, there's just, there's not a whole lot of true papers that investigated a timing question, mm. you know, 
just because you're delivering a dose of protein and a dose of protein plus carbohydrates at the same time after a workout doesn't make it a timing study. It, you know, it makes it a protein versus a protein plus carbohydrate study. And so I think those, the, those were important contextual things that we tried to draw out. Um, you know, and then I think it also just really kind of points towards the fact that, I mean, as, as much work that's been done, there's still a number of different studies that haven't been done. I mean, it's fascinating to me when you think about all of the conversation that's been had about this topic over the last decade, that the very first study that was published that looked at whey protein ingestion before or after several weeks of resistance training was published, honestly, about a couple of months before we, we submitted this thing by um, um, yeah. Colin Wilburn and Brad Schoenfeld and, you know, in, in, um, in their group. So it's just fascinating to me that there's just a number of, of um, training study type questions, you know, that, that basically haven't been completed. I think, you know, when you point to, you know, so if we, if we, if we, if we kind of just cut to the chase and start talking about the work with, you know, soon after a resistance training session or not, um, a lot of people would point to, you know, the, the paper that was published by Esmark in 2001 in Journal of Phys, but man, oh man, there's a number of shortcomings with that project. I mean, I really appreciate what they did, but you know, their protein dose was very, very small. It was on the order of about 10 grams. We certainly, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a way isolate. So we, we know that like leucine thresholds weren't hit. It was in an elderly population. Uh, and quite honestly, um, my lab is, is basically hoping to kind of tackle that question relevant to the, to the, to the, to the college age folks um, starting up this spring. So we're basically going to try to replicate that study using um, a more efficacious dose of whey protein and kind of do immediately after versus two hours after and do DEXA and strength and, and, and biopsies and things along those lines. So, so we're excited about that. You know, so when you look at it from a training study standpoint of, you know, translatable outcomes of did they get stronger? Mm. Did their performance go up? Did their muscles get bigger? I think, you know, if we're ultimately interested, we're talking to an athlete, that's all they're going to care about. They're mm. not, they don't care whether if P70S6 kinase was phosphorylated or not. They don't care, you know. So, so that's where the, the training study questions, I think, become very, very important. And, um, and honestly, the, the, the findings there are really relatively very mixed. They're just, we don't have a clear consensus. There was a paper that was published in, in um, um, the ISSN journal a few years back, you know, that, that kind of examined that question. There was an acute study done um, that didn't show a difference between carbs versus protein, you know, but, but again, you know, then we also have the other work where if you give a dose immediately before and immediately after Paul Cribb's work versus in the morning and the evening and Jay Hoffman did a similar thing. Um, you know, what, what are those studies telling us? And again, we've got, we've got mixed outcomes there. So it gets very frustrating, you know, for um, a person who just wants to know what the hell should they do. And, and, and I think that's where Joey Antonio's pragmatic approach really comes from is because it, it simplifies it down to, and this is really where I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I feel comfortable saying as well that if there's evidence to suggest that it might be helpful and no evidence to suggest that it's going to be harmful, then I think you should consider it. And I would actually recommend you to do it because again, at the very least, even if the timing had the timing aspect of it had absolutely no benefit, I, as a practitioner or a coach know that I've recommended you to get a good, healthy dose of some high quality nutrients, which nobody would argue that that's going to be beneficial. Um, and that's really where, you know, where my recommendations stop. And unfortunately there's a lot of people that aren't happy with that. You know, like they want more, they want to know, you know, like, well, does it really matter if I, you know, if it's, you know, if it's zero, if it's immediately after one hour or two hours or four hours. And, you know, I, I think, you know, cause the back, the back part of your comment kind of suggested that, I mean, I, I do think, there's enough, there's an, enough evidence in some acute models to know that if you go about two hours, definitely into three hours, 
you know, the, there's a number of things inside the cell that start to get turned off or downregulate that aren't necessarily favorable for mm-hmm. um, positive adaptations to training. You know, um, whether that's going to translate into a into a, a meaningful performance outcome or training adaptation outcome, I don't know if we have the best study to really tell us that answer yet. But I do think that there's enough evidence to su- to suggest that you know, if you're thinking about getting some feeding. Um, then, you know, it's, it's in your best interest to do it as soon as you can after your workout. And I, I don't really think there'll be many people that would, that would kind of argue against that. Um, cause I haven't, you know, you know, but if somebody doesn't want to, Hey, if you're at the gym and you don't, you forgot your shake, I, I you know, and I mean, you've got a 30 minute commute home, I'd say no big deal. But as soon as you get home, it's going to be in your best interest to make sure that you get something, you know, yeah. if yeah. you, if you if you get home and decide to take a shower and get a phone call and it's two, three hours before you eat another meal, then I think there's a number of people that would say that's probably not ideal. So that that's the most practical way that I think I can put it into an everyday world scenario. I agree. I, well, it comes back to my earlier comment. I think, um, I think I made it in this version of our recording, but about yeah. the obsession with, with novelty, we can use that as a strategy with our clients. And for people who just aren't going to take something that seriously, unless we, unless we turn it into a strategy that they feel that they have some control over and they take an interest in it, it may actually, from a pragmatist point of view, actually have a beneficial outcome, which I guess develops our conversation further on. You can, but should you, but also why shouldn't I sort of scenario. Um, um, we, we haven't got a whole lot of time left here, so uh, you know we can get people to read the paper to get all the, the technical bits. You know, and I, I I I tell you the one thing that I that I do want to that I do want to just kind of bring up uh, mm-hmm. because I think it's an important conversation. I I think another area of the research that needs to continue to evolve and develop a little bit better, and I think we've gotten a lot better at, at describing these things, but just clearly appreciating um, at what level the subjects or the study participants are at because, yeah. you know, if it's a relatively novel, you know, even if it's a recreationally trained person that, you know, we might say that you, you give them a questionnaire and ask them, have you been resistance training for the last six months? Maybe you do a baseline strength test to evaluate a baseline strength level. You know, there's just a lot, there's a, you know, there, there's a, a lot of variability with how those types of categories can, how somebody's going to respond to a training program and to a feeding program. And, and I think, you know, as we, um, um, as we do more work, I think we'll, that'll continue to be an important part. And I think, you know, Alan Aragon has put together a, a really nice slide that I'm sure people can kind of find out there on the internet where he, he kind of develops a continuum of, of, of the need or the, of the, the importance of nutrient timing relative yeah, to training status, yeah. you know, or, or to what level they're at. And I think certainly, you know, the, um, the, the, the impact, the potential impact of timing, you know, is a relatively small one. And, um, so I think that, you know, the, um, you know, so one would argue that the actual strategy might be a little bit more, more effective for, somebody who has truly maximized their window, you know, so. And Chad, I I think, you know, certainly something I, as I've learned more over the, especially in the last four years, having studied a lot of this stuff now and speaking to people like yourself, it is is necessary to understand the limits of our knowledge, but also the limits of, of, of what these studies or what these papers are actually telling us. So to illustrate my point, for example, a lot of people get excited about an intervention has, you know, an impact on um, reducing muscle damage markers or, um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing, you know, blah, 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 reduced, um, you, know, uh, you know, markers of inflammation and so on. But of course, what we may not be recognizing that those are necessary mechanisms for signaling um, the adaptations you know that are necessary for the adaptations that we're looking for um and 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 when i'm saying we need to understand the limitations of what we're doing we we are like the early explorers you know looking ahead and and going you know i can't see anything out there in the horizon therefore that's the end of the world and the world is flat and everything and actually there's a lot more to it 
And we should bear in mind that if something, if something's going to do something, it might also be doing something else. And just because we don't know that, um, should we assume that, that it's not a problem? And if it's not absolutely relevant, um, then, um, then we should, you know, it was the, you can, but should you conversation again, I guess. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and I, and I think those are, those are just, those are, I, I think necessary and important, um, uh, points of perspective that, that, you know, if you're really going to try to have a fair balanced conversation about, about timing overall, because, you know, there is, a, a, a certainly a high level of excitement, you know, from the neophytes you know, with a different study or anything else that, that can kind of conjure up, you know, um, um, uh, a good bit of excitement, you know, so, you know, but there is, I mean, there's, there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more to come on, um, you know, um, um, on, on timing in general, you know, you figure, you know, like you said, we just, we don't really know that much about the impact of, you know, I mean, kind of feeding protein and aminos, you know, um, after a workout, I mean, there's we're, um, there's only been one study, one or one or I guess two studies done on you know like caffeine timing, and both of those are basically showed some benefit in endurance models. Yep. You know, so we're 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 looking at doing a caffeine timing study and right. resistance model. You know, so those are just all things that those are all things that are just kind of brand new that um, you know that are out there. There's only been. There have been a couple papers done on nutrition timing. Well, well, also, and um, hopefully I'm going to be doing a podcast on this in the near future, um, but, you know, the, the latest Nobel Prize in medicine as it relates to, you know, the, uh, the body clock and biorhythms. And, um, I mean, that is in itself a timing scenario. Yeah. And I have explored some of this stuff. You know, what about ingesting something at a time of <laughs> That is not your normal, um, you know, the normal time of day. And what I'm thinking of is people who are, uh, like athletes who are traveling, um, right. you know, people who are shift workers who one week are used to operating during normal sort of working hours. Some people then switch that and work through the night. You know, what, what impact is this going to have on physio physiology and physiological responses? You know, and then you think, well, I mean, the hormone, you know, those pulsatile things of hormones, there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, and I actually, I've got, so I've got kind of a funny story along those lines. I'm pretty sure, I don't know, I don't know what author it was that brought that, they, one of them kind of brought that topic up. Right. And they brought it up relatively late in the process. And I was just like, there's no way, <laughs> no way I'm not going down that road, you know? Um, so, you know, and, 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 and I mean, I think that's important to share as well too, because so people understand that, you know, these, these papers, you know, they're, um, you know, they're, they're done by you know, different groups of people that, you know, and, and you, you're just kind of bouncing around different ideas and some things get left out, not because for any other reason that it was just, you know, if the, the body of literature is not really that well developed and Hey, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, um, we'll kind of work on that, um, you know, on the next go around. I mean, but there's just, I, I think there's just a, a number of different things that, you know, we'll continue to find out with protein timing and, yeah. uh, you know, so there's, um, you know, like I said, there's just, there's just, there's just a, a, a good bit of work I think left to be done, which is always fun. It is, it is fun. I, you know, five, 10 years from now, it's going to be uh, very exciting. Um, which also means Chad, you're going to have a whole nother massive paper to put together. So there's yeah, no rest. I, um, for the I, I was actually kidding Sean the last time I saw him. I said, when the, when the, when the names start getting thrown around about who's going to write the next one, I'm going to, I'm going to throw his name out first. And, yeah. uh, I've done two of them now, and I, I, I feel beyond blessed and fortunate to. You're up to, for retirement, Chad. There you go. To kind of have that role, but I, I think it's time to to hand it off to somebody else. I certainly certainly kind of look forward to you know kind of you know being um, playing a big role on the next one as well. But it you know it's it's um, you know the documents as well. Um, you know, for the ISSN, they've we've really done a we've really made a lot of efforts as a group. Yeah. To um, try to get out some some big meaningful papers that can help guide practitioners and help guide coaches and everything else. And no, well, that, thank, this is just you, thank you for, for doing it. And, um, you know, I'm a proud member of, of ISSN and have been involved in, in two position stands already actually. And, um, and I'm very excited to be leading a position stand 
um, which I'm not going to talk about right now, but it's going to be yeah. next year. Um, but it's not entirely unrelated to what we're talking about today. All I, all I will say is a sneak peek. It's all about N of one. So uh, personalized uh, yeah. context. Um, yeah. So um, look, listen, um, I really appreciate your time. Um, sure. I, uh, you know, I, I know how much time and effort has gone into all of this. Also, <laughs> in our efforts to try and record this podcast, we had a few technical issues, but um, for people who want to learn more about you, I'll link to your um, various links, ResearchGate and so on. But uh, loosely, uh, do you have like a a lab uh, website or your own website or or, or Twitter? Yeah, I can, um, um, I can send you the link kind of through my, um, you know, basically through the, um, through the email, we are basically working on kind of getting a lab website developed. Okay. Well, I'll put it on the, I'll put it on the, uh, the, the page for this podcast along with a link to the paper, which of course is free for anyone to download. It's completely open access. That's one of the awesome things about all, all our publications at ISSN. Absolutely. Um, so, um, well, look, that's it. We're going to bring it. We're going to bring it to a close. And um, loosely, uh, you know, this whole thing about nutrient timing—you can, but should you? But why shouldn't you? I'm going to tie that into the title somehow. Um, but thank you. Um, I, of course, am Laurel Bannock, and uh, look forward to bringing another podcast back to you all soon. Um, all podcast episodes can be found at GuruPerformance.com, along with all our other um, uh, outputs, including the ISSN diploma that we do. Um, but that is it and talk to you all soon.